Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Welcome to this special edition of World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. Today, we're looking at Venezuela after the death of Hugo Chavez. Is this the end of an era for Latin American radicalism, or will Chavismo live on? Joining me in the studio is our Latin America editor, John Paul Rathburn, and on the line from Caracas, our correspondent there, Benedict Manda. Benedict, if I can start with you, just give us an idea of the, uh, the atmosphere in, in Caracas. Do people feel that this is the end of an era for Venezuela? I think people are still coming to terms with this extraordinary moment. I mean, Chavez has been the defining feature of daily life in Venezuela for the last 14 years, and suddenly he's gone. And so now we're seeing queues of apparently up to seven kilometers of Venezuelans trying to get a look at Chavez's coffin, and they're probably going to be queuing overnight. And yes, I think people are really just not sure what's happening. So, John Paul, that, that was, that's the atmosphere in Caracas. But Chavez was obviously an international figure as well. Give us an idea of what he represented uh, in, in the world at large. That's, I mean, that's a very good question. What did he represent? If you're going to take the historical view, he stems from a long Venezuelan tradition of caudillos that have sprinkled Venezuelan history. For the dispossessed, he was, he was their voice. Uh, for the poor, he was a kind of Robin Hood figure. But at the same time, in the region, certainly, and I think in the near abroad as well, he was never a model to emulate, A, because only one country, after all, can have the largest oil reserves in the world. And B, because it became really apparent that the parlous state of the, of the Venezuelan economy and the fact that at least half the country dislikes him very intensely uh, was not a model they wanted to have anything to do with. And Benedict, it does seem a bit puzzling that there is enormous uh, oil wealth in Venezuela, and yet in some respects the economy that Chavez is leaving behind is a bit of a mess, isn't it? It's a complete mess in many ways. I mean, if you look at the some of the numbers, they're quite positive. I mean, he's managed to reduce poverty uh, per capita. GDP has, has more than doubled during his rule. But if you look at the real economy, it's an absolute disaster. I mean, inflation is running at over 20%, which makes daily life very complicated. There are basic shortages of all kinds of goods. I mean, I haven't been able to buy sugar for quite a long time. I couldn't buy toothpaste the last time I went to the shops. You know, these sorts of things are incredibly inconvenient. And how, how did he manage to create, you know, on the basis of all this oil wealth, uh, how, how have we ended up, or has Venezuela ended up with an economy where there are, there is rampant inflation and shortages? Was he nonetheless overspending? He's overspent massively. There has been a huge increase in spending over the years, pumping massive amounts of local currency into the economy, which has created a bubble. So, John Paul, I mean, is that partly because Chavez was known for his largesse overseas? In other words, was he being such a Robin Hood that he was taking money from Venezuela and scattering it around the world? Or what was going on? 
One way of understanding Venezuela is to look upon it as a kind of Nigeria on the Caribbean. And it, in many ways, it was a petrostate. And in all petrostates have these similar kinds of problems. Overlaid on that, there is this Latin American revolutionary tradition, which stems back to the Cuban Revolution of 1959. And Chavez was, of course, a close ally. What he did is he hit a new sort of register in the oral tone, if you like, of Latin America. He went where men in suits wouldn't have gone. Uh, so he thumbed his nose at uh, the United States. It was a more sort of rhetorical apparatus rather than a systematic ideological alignment. And it was nasty and wrong for him to toad it up to um, Syria and to Gaddafi in Libya. But it was, I think people just enjoyed the entertainment value of him acting out in these folkloric ways. He was dark-skinned, of course, which is important, that they didn't see the men in suits, often white, uh, that they were more accustomed to doing. As you say, he gave rhetorical support to to all sorts of people, embraced Gaddafi, Mugabe, etc. Uh, he also gave a significant financial support to Cuba. So is the downfall of Chavez potentially a threat to the Cuban government? Uh, absolutely. They, ha they have a symbiotic relationship. It was Venezuelan oil in return for Cuban advice and intelligence. And the two have been wrapped up very closely uh, over the past decade or so. And Cubans will be very worried out of a mixture of sentimentality and self-interest about the billions of dollars of subsidized oil that Venezuela's shipped to Cuba for several years now. Do you think it's fair to say that Chavez might be a throwback to a kind of different sort of Latin leader, the last of a kind, a sort of Perón, a Castro? Because now we've seen these moderate centre-left governments in Brazil and, and other places, which appear to be more successful at redistributing income, helping the poor without this kind of revolutionary rhetoric. I would say that he's, alas, one of the most remarkable, perhaps the most remarkable Latin American politician of the 20th century. And now that he's dead, he does join the pantheon of figures such as Perón, Che Guevara. But he's not the way forward. The answer to the question is, does the Latin American left have a future? Of course it does. And you can see that in places like Brazil or Peru or Chile, where the next uh, president is likely to be Michel Bachelet, returning for the second time. And that's the way forward. To say the left has no role in a continent with so much inequality is obviously quite wrong. To say that the Hugo Chavez model, which was based on profligacy and incredible mismanagement, Chavez was many things, but he was not a good uh, administrator. It's just you can't administer scarcity, um, in, in, which is the condition of many Latin American countries. And yet he did have his allies in the region. I mean, there was a sort of Bolivarian front, wasn't there? Bolivia, Ecuador. Will they be able to carry on uh, as a kind of alternative pole without Chavez there as the unifying figure? They're important symbolically, perhaps, but they don't have a big following. They're small countries. The, the bigger countries, Brazil um, on the Atlantic, uh, Mexico in the North America, and, and the Pacific economies down the West Coast, those are the more important uh, countries, and they embody the majority, after all, of Latin American um, opinion and, and peoples. Benedict, do you think that the political forces that uh, Chavez represents, it sounds like a very divided country. It, is it likely that they will now be at loggerheads with the, the right wing who will see an opportunity to perhaps move back into power? Almost certainly. I mean, they've been at loggerheads since Chavez came to power. The question is also whether Maduro will be able to keep together the different factions within Chavismo who are also at loggerheads. And this is going to be a big challenge for him in the weeks and months ahead. What are the different factions within Chavismo? 
Well, they range from a, a more ideological group, a sort of almost neo-Marxist lot, to there's a strong military wing. There is also a group of people known as the Boligarchs, who are a group of powerful businessmen who have close links to the government and have been able to profit magnificently from deals with the state. And of course, the grassroots, you know, the huge numbers of poor who live in the slums who love Chavez and will be feeling his loss greatly today. It strikes me as an outsider that, uh, John Paul, that one of the unifying things for uh, for Chavez is a uh, disparate group, as we've just heard, is the anti-American card. And we've all seen in the last couple of days this famous footage of him speaking at the UN and comparing Bush to, to the devil and calling Bush a donkey and so on. Is that anti-American card still going to be a unifying force for the for the left in Venezuela and perhaps in Latin America as a, as a whole? Well, I'd argue perhaps tendentiously that a lot of that anti-Americanism is synthetic and it's a pill you have to swallow if you're going to be a Chavista. It's, it's the line and it's a scapegoat that was born out of the end of the Bush era. He was the most unpopular president in Latin America but no longer really holds sway in the region, I would argue. There's a lot of talk about how Hugo Chavez led the rise of a kind of more assertive Latin America in the face of U.S. dominance, which is partly true. Uh, but it's also true that the U.S. kind of beat a retreat because it's so obsessed with its own problems and uh, uh, the commodity boom and the countries in the South American region that have enjoyed that uh, filled the gap quite naturally. Finally, just to round off, John Paul, do you think then that with the end of Chavez, we're seeing the end of a period where Venezuela, quite a small country, had a huge uh, international profile? Are they going to slip back into perhaps slightly more comfortable obscurity now? They still sit on the world's largest oil reserves, which are underexploited. So Venezuela will probably continue to punch above its weight for a while longer yet. But meanwhile, it's got huge internal problems, and it probably can no longer afford to finance through petrodiplomacy quite in the lavish way that it has before. Who will be most immediately affected outside the region? The Russian arms sellers who have sold most of Venezuela its guns and planes. And uh, China's Development Bank, uh, which has extended 40 billion of credits uh, to Venezuela uh, in lieu of future deliveries of oil. I expect in Beijing they'll probably be worried. Okay, John Paul Rathbone here in London, thanks very much. Thanks also to Benedict Manda in Venezuela itself and to Martin Starber here in the studio. That's it for this special edition of World Weekly. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.